The sweet sound of sports you love from Sling. The collide of football pads. The squeak of shoes on a basketball court. The crack of the bat on a home run. The slice of skates cutting across the ice. But what about this one? That's the sound of all the sports you love. All at once. Starting at $40 a month. Experience it all live with Sling. Sling. At Bet365, we don't do ordinary. We believe that every sport should be epic. Every goal, every game, every point, every play. From the moments that are legendary to the ones that fly under the radar. Whether it's a game-winning goal in the final seconds of overtime or a shot on the goal in the first period. Whatever the sport, whatever the moment. It's never ordinary at Bet365. 21 plus only. Must be present in Virginia. If you or someone you know has a gambling problem and wants help, call 1-800-GAMBLER. Terms and conditions apply. Oh, man. A little rusty when it comes to recording here. It's been since uh, late Friday night when we got the Kawhi news. But we got to catch up, of course, uh, on all the signings between now and then. Maybe do a little winners and losers and take stock of what this has done to 2020 free agency now that all of these contracts uh, have been signed. Danny joining me as well. Fortunately, we're not out of practice when it comes to talking because we're at Vegas Summer League and that's all we do all day, uh, every day. Uh, Had some awesome meals, uh, enjoying ourselves, but uh, back to work here. Where do you want to start? I think we should start with the limited follow-up moves with the Clippers, but I think they're important. So the first one was they re-signed Avika Zubac to a four-year, $28 million deal. And I had thought that there was a possibility that the Clippers were going to sign Zubac to a larger deal and have it be the idea of a human trade exception. So basically give him a bigger two-year deal, and that would be more if they didn't think it, and if they didn't think he was going to be a part of their long-term future. Instead, this is a pretty clear sign that the Clippers see Zubac as maybe not their starting center of the future, but as an integral part of it, because four years and 28 million is a lot of money. I think they do see him as the starting center. And it is interesting given his struggles in the playoffs. Now that was against Golden State, the full healthy Golden State, the last time we would ever see the full healthy Golden State for a a whole series. And yeah, it doesn't surprise me that Zubac couldn't hold up in there. And actually, Doc Rivers ended up deploying Jermichael Green, who the Clippers also re-signed to the room exception in what I thought was great value as a small ball center when the Warriors were going with Andrew Bogut at center. It actually was able to create an advantage there. But obviously they have Montrez Harrell. Harrell is finishing up a two-year $12 million deal next summer. He is going to probably make a lot of money, I I would imagine, next summer where there are not as many free agents. There's still a a fair bit of cap space and and he's young enough uh, where teams could project him as part of the future. It is an interesting center rotation here though for the Clippers with Zubac kind of limited defensively. He's, He's probably underrated as a guy just taking up space around the rim, but obviously his mobility is in question. And then Harrell, who's a great offensive center, pretty good iso guy post-up guy offensive rebounding guy we'll see how that meshes with Kawhi and Paul George but then he has a lot of defensive limitations as well he's kind of got that Kenneth Fareed disease where he looks like he's small and quick and could switch and can't really do it he's not a great rim protector very poor defensive rebounder as well so this center rotation is kind of interesting and, and we'll see whether for this Clippers team Kawhi can get back to the levels that he was in San Antonio defensively Paul George has been coming off shoulder surgery and he was at the age where guys start to slow down defensively as well so i'm not quite as sanguine about this clippers defense being an awesome unit as a lot of other people are and i think that's because their center rotation has the limitations but uh, it does seem clear that they believe in him as the starting center um and also it seems clear that 
you know, if you compare him to, say, Kevon Looney, you know, I think Looney is a better player, especially in the playoffs, more defensive versatility. But Zubac, just simply by dint of being large enough to be a quote-unquote starter in the regular season, gets paid more. The other important element of this sequence of transactions for the Clippers is that I had thought because they maneuvered the picks in the OKC trade, this is something we talked about in the last episode, so that they could trade their 2021st, that center would be a logical place to deploy that asset, you know, go after a player with contract filler, whoever they thought would be a good fit. With Zubac and Green in the fold, I'm guessing they're going to look at a different position if they end up using that pick for an upgrade. They could still go after a center, but considering the resources, I think it's it's at least less likely now than it was before yeah and maybe this will turn out to be we speculated that compared to 2020 the value will actually be better this year just because not necessarily there'll be more room which i thought there would be that turned out to be wrong uh in 2020 but certainly more players on the market this year after that 2018 when so many guys took one-year deals that actually having a, a guy like zubach on a four-year deal could make him more valuable than being on a two-year deal should it come to needing to make trades that jamichael green room exception deal i really am surprised that that's all that was out there for him i thought he showed more stretch with the clippers uh, than in memphis when he wasn't really encouraged to shoot as much as he had been and maybe we'll see him deployed as a small ball center as another look to provide a little more defense give them that switching start a forward line no center with him Kawhi and pg or just uh, be their backup power forward as well but uh the other thing to talk about too which ramona shelburne reiterated after the signing was that george is expected to miss the first few weeks of the season is not being reevaluated until the start of training camp. And he had double sh- shoulder surgery. He had a torn labrum in one shoulder and a torn rotator cuff in the other. I mean, that is just pretty miserable uh, to have that happen. And, and pretty amazing that he's able to play as well as he did last year down the stretch, even though he wasn't quite at the same level that he had been. So there is a, some injury concern with George. Remember, he had knee surgery the offseason before this one. You know, a guy who really is dependent now on hitting shots to not be able to practice, improve his game. You, you kind of get to the point, I think, as a player where you're just kind of old enough where you're just trying to hold on to the skills that you have instead of adding new ones and maybe this is that's George reaching that point now not going to be able to do much working out again with the those shoulder issues and then of course he has that broken leg in his past as well so and Kawhi also an injury risk you imagine that everybody's going to be kind of on the load management plan next year in terms of the regular season uh where do you want to go next here let's go to Oklahoma City so there have been some there's been some fallout unsurprisingly of the Paul George trade and the most significant part that is unresolved at this point is Russell Westbrook it looks like the Thunder are are listening to offers here that is a significant development from where things have been before it's also not surprising based on trading Paul George a big impediment in that as we discussed in a podcast I think that was around March about when we did worst contracts in the NBA is just how much money Russell Westbrook is owed it's four years and 170 million dollars that is an absolute just ton of money for for him Westbrook I expect him to deteriorate over these four years and I don't think he was worth that money this year even though much to not chagrin but we disagreed with him being an all-nba player this year so for me the the biggest question here is that you is who has the combination of interest and capacity so while I think of Russell Westbrook as a negative value contract, I fully expect that he, 
if he is traded, and I expect him to be traded, he'll be traded as a positive value contract. So you need a team that thinks Westbrook can help them and that has the right pieces to make a, a logical trade back. Now, I don't think he's going to be heavy value, but at least a slight positive. Well, and the other thing that we had talked about too was it seemed obvious that to facilitate OKC's desire to also get out of the tax that a team like Dallas and Atlanta at the time, Atlanta has now used up uh, most of the rest of their space on Jabari Parker, as we'll get to, uh, but that they would need to use a team like Dallas uh, to cut salary uh, it, and maybe bring in a, a third team as well, sending Westbrook to his desired destination. That has been alleviated somewhat with this trade uh, of Jeremy Grant, where they knock nine million bucks off of uh, their team salary and get their tax paid down to 13 million it was at a cool 43 million before that with them of course uh, being in the repeater tax so that helped maybe you can say now they don't need to cut further salary they probably would try to i would imagine during the season but it being only now about five million dollars over the tax they might even be able to get out entirely with just some ancillary moves during the course of the season and i'm sure they will endeavor to do that but with them going into another phase and maybe they could even just in terms of the salary matching for westbrook get a third team involved still to offload a little bit more money uh coming back from the heat which is supposedly where westbrook wants to be the heat of course are hard capped due to receiving jimmy butler in a sign and trade they only got i think less than two million dollars above the hard cap right now so the salary matching would be difficult okc would likely have to take back more and maybe shunt some of that onto a third team i was actually talking with the amin el hassan yesterday on a podcast that i did for the summer league official podcast about when it makes sense to have someone like westbrook on your team and or at least someone making as much as westbrook but who then is going to continue to have less value and the thought is well you do it because you think you can contend in the first couple of years and then yeah you got to pay the piper on the back end but as you mentioned you know Westbrook doesn't really fall into that category anymore I mean he's more at this point a floor raiser than he is a guy who can play at the highest levels he just has too many weaknesses his defensive inattention the fact that he has to be ball dominant he can't do anything off the ball offensively for when you want to have other guys work so he doesn't make sense for a lot of teams and maybe he makes sense for Miami because it seems like they are surprisingly enough given the championship pedigree they have there they seem just focused on trying to compete every year and you know make that team as good as it can be without really thinking that much uh, about the future and so uh, Westbrook is interested in going there and you know that they could be a second tier team in the east perhaps with Westbrook and Jimmy Butler uh maybe not the greatest fit either personality or basketball wise we'll see uh both those guys be, be a little prickly so uh we'll see I mean pr- presumably in such a trade and we haven't really heard any other destinations talk about you know the heat uh guess what they have plenty of bad salary (laughs) that they could send back uh goran dragic james johnson who's a player option for next year myers leonard uh, dragic and leonard are their two big expirings uh, as of now because they in fact had to stretch ryan anderson uh, as part of that butler deal to get under the hard cap they had to stretch him before they could in fact sign butler um anything else you want to say about the westbrook uh, heat situation here no i i think that summarized it pretty well but we should get to the grant trade from from both teams perspective from for okc this is 
both getting off of salary and kind of opening the door for potentially getting out of the tax or at least mitigating their bill. It's also a signal of where the team is going from a directional perspective. I mean, trading Jeremy Grant for a first round pick makes them worse in the immediate. And there was some chatter of, oh, you know, you get in Gallinari, so you don't need Jeremy Grant, but you play two forwards and they don't really have a clear cut solution for the other one if they're trying to compete in the interim. If they're not, then it's not as big of a problem. And for clarification, the pick per Zach Lowe, the pick that, that Denver is sending is top 10 protected over the next three draft and then would, would flip into two seconds. I expect that pick to convey before it converts, probably going to convey this year. And from Denver's perspective, the way that that I'm thinking about this trade is as a fascinating hedge for Paul Millsap because Jeremy Grant has a player option for 2020. He could pick that up. He could decline that. But basically the expectation for them, actually, you could even argue it's a hope because of the way player options are handled, is that they're pretty much going to have a choice between two different power forwards next summer. Millsap, more accomplished, talented defensively. And those guys are both, they're both good defensively, but they're good in different ways. So I think that's part of the reason why it's fun to have them on the roster the same year. But the have sufficient bird rights on both of them to retain whoever they want. Theoretically, if the Cronkies want to really dip into their own, dip into it and go into the tax, they could retain both of them. But that's really what this is, is, is getting another option at power forward next to Nikola Jokic. Yeah, again, given what the market's going to look like next year, you'd expect that even Millsap, if he continues to play at a reasonable level, or Grant is going to get paid. I like the fit in Denver to have a real bouncy guy who can finish some alley-oops, finish around the rims. That, that was not, uh, you know, as kind of a dunker spot guy to play next to Jokic and get dimed up for some alley-oops and some big crushers along the baseline. That's not quite Millsap's game. I thought he struggled to finish at times around the rim on those sorts of plays. Now, Millsap, of course, adds more passing, adds more post-up ability. Probably still, I would consider him a slightly more dangerous shooter than Grant, although both of those guys are you know, not really known for their shooting. Grant has shot a pretty good percentage uh, the last couple of years, but not a big volume guy. Perhaps that can continue to improve uh, in Denver's uh, solid player development system. But yeah, I, I like the idea of the hedge, but it's still quite possible that they could lose both of these guys. You know, they'll both be unrestricted free agents. I do think Grant really adds a, a nice element as a power forward. This also probably it would make Juancho Hernan Gomez going into the final year of his rookie deal someone who might be available as a stretch four and we saw stretch fours on the market do reasonably well this season in free agency so maybe there's a team that might want to trade for Hernan Gomez who had a nice start to the year and then he had that core muscle issue which he had to have surgery for after the season and you know he showed some ability to even guard the three I, I you and I both like him better as a four and then it also in related news Trey Lyles had his qualifying offer pulled it was a disappointing year for Lyles in his fourth season after he shot it very well uh, his third year and actually moved Hernan Gomez out of the rotation uh, so Lyles played little in the playoffs and is now he didn't sign anywhere yet did he did he I'm not not that, that I've seen no okay good that's what I thought <laughs> uh it's been a whirlwind here um but he's someone I, I think could be a cheap option for teams looking for a little more scoring on the second unit Lyles has his defensive weaknesses which could definitely be a problem but I think as a backup power forward with some stretch and scoring 
scoring ability is a, a worthy flyer for a team maybe that doesn't have the highest of playoff aspirations. Something else that I want to mention is that the Grant signing or Grant acquisition also puts a line in the sand about something that you and I wondered about when Jamal Murray signed that lucrative extension, which was that it vaporized a lot of Denver's potential cap space. But getting Grant on there, and as you said, he's unrestricted and can go wherever he wants. But having Grant on the roster means that it's more likely that Denver's power forward of the future, or at least power forward of 2020-21, is going to be on roster. So theoretically, that could decrease the opportunity cost of losing that cap space with Jamal Murray because it seemed like the most pressing need for them, should the the Nuggets have been using cap space next summer, would have been for a power forward. Another bit of salary cap focused aspect here, we had wondered whether Denver would in fact use uh, their full mid-level exception. They did not, but Grant is making basically the exact same amount as the full mid-level exception, and they're able to acquire him via the trade exception uh, from the Darrell Arthur, Kenneth Fareed trade uh, a year ago, uh, which you know we thought, hey, they weren't going to use that. So kudos to them uh, for doing that. They still sit about $3.5 million below the tax uh, with 14 players on roster right now a 15th bull bull uh oh no i'm sorry that that it 14 includes bull bull my bad and so the, they may bring in one more player but they've still got nine million dollars below the apron that three million dollars below the tax so in the buyout market they could have a, a pretty strong position uh at least being able to use the mini mid level and you know you would imagine they will not be paying the tax you know because of the repeater tax uh obviously uh four years from now you got to push that further down the road uh but maybe you know if they're really competing there's some possibility they could pay a little bit of tax and they could have a up to about eight million dollars below the apron if they wanted to to use uh, their mle and bring in guys on the buyout market so that could be a very powerful tool uh on a buyout market i'm sure that we expect to be uh, relatively robust this year uh, as it always is where do you want to go next let's go to san antonio i thought this was was a, a fascinating sequence that happened so we got word that damari carroll's deal was being reworked worked from two years and 13 million to three years and 21 and it was a little bit in a little bit unusual just to, to hear that timing and then it eventually became clarified because what san antonio did was instead of using the mid-level exception to sign carol they actually reworked it during the moratorium into a sign-in trade where they sent davis bertans to Washington using one of their trade exceptions, then brought Damari Carroll in via sign and trade. And then what that opened the door for was using the mid-level exception on someone else and ended up being Marcus Morris. So now instead of just getting Carroll with the MLE, they're getting Carroll and Morris and sending out Davis Bertans. Yeah, and this really, I think, helps San Antonio's defense a ton. They took a major step back defensively last year, were one of the best offenses in the NBA, uh, despite their uh, non-modern shot distribution. They just made all of their shots uh, from those ranges, uh, despite the fact that the distribution wasn't amazing. So they had a, a, I think they're the number five offense uh, last season. So Marcus Morris, solid defender at the four. You know, I don't know if he's necessarily going to, to start there or not but you imagine finishing games he'll be at the four you could have Aldridge still at the five who's a, a decent defensive option at the five Carroll fits into their wing rotation as another guy who can defend not a lockdown guy but world's better defending on the wing than anyone they had and Morris against some of the bigger wings your Kawhi's your LeBron's in the Western Conference he can hold up reasonably well against them they've also got DeJounte Murray coming back Derek White presumably is going to play more this season 
And so really the big question now becomes DeMar DeRozan. We talked about this in the Denver series of where can he really play defensively? It's very difficult, right? He's too slow to defend anybody coming off a screen at the two. The one, forget about it. He's not going to be able to defend that. But if you put him at small four, then you you got to have two smaller guards out there as well. And you're going to struggle to defend some of the better wings. Now, DeRozan had to kind of be hidden on like, you know, your Will Barton, whoever was playing the three for Denver or Torrey Craig don't forget San Antonio also has Rudy Gay available as well as a score I mean that this some of these pieces are a little redundant Gay and Morris are both kind of scoring power forward types at this point in time but they've got a lot more depth on the wing this to me and now that you have Gay and Morris Aldridge we'll have to see how those guards develop especially offensively you know Lonnie Walker has looked really good in summer league this year as well they're going to want to probably find time for him They've also got Patty Mills. So it seems like, I mean, Marco Bellinelli is still on this team too. He's in the rotation last year. So they've got more pieces almost than they know what to do with now with these two signings, which I like. I think they are going to miss just that bobbing of Bertans, who actually was pretty good from an analytics standpoint. But if you got Aldridge at the five, they've also got Jakob Pertl as well. I guess he'll maybe just back up Aldridge. But Popovich has a ton of options here in terms of who's going to start, who's going to finish games. But DeRozan, other than being, you know, their one perimeter scorer who can have the ball you know again when he's doesn't have the ball it becomes difficult as well since he's abandoned shooting the three since he got to san antonio so he kind of seems like the one piece that doesn't fit that well there are rumors that he could be a a trade candidate and i think that would kind of make sense to me i think they need to move into a new era where white murray and possibly walker are going to be the focus offensively on the perimeter and then you get rid of these defensive uh and off ball problems offensively that derozan presents but we'll see how it goes into the season they've got a lot of guys who can score still not a ton of athleticism or team speed but it's it's going to be an interesting team in san antonio yet another team that i think we're going to really struggle to project coming into the season and also you would have to say i think some other teams missed out on both morris and carroll agreed and then and then last thing on carroll too my guess would be because he was initially reported as two years 13 million the reason he had to go to that third year was because he got the sign and trade from brooklyn and uh old buddy sean marks helping out uh san antonio and also uh carroll my guess would be there's gonna be some sort of a non-guarantee on that third year that the guaranteed money will be closer to the 13 million that was initially reported but you have to have the third year on to do a sign and trade that's the uh, keith bogans rule from way back uh uh another sign and trade with the nets actually <laughs> back in uh to make that trade legal for kevin garnett paul pierce and uh those draft picks uh, back in the day oh how, how how the world has changed since then so i think we can go back to los angeles to the the co-tenants of the staples center of the lakers we talked on the friday podcast about how they were starting to recover from not getting Kawhi Leonard. I believe then we had the KCP, Danny Green, and JaVale McGee contracts, but since then they've basically fleshed out their roster. DeMarcus Cousins, one year, 3.5 million. Quinn Cook, two years, 6 million. Rajon Rondo, a one plus one at the minimum. Alex Caruso, two years, 5.5 million. And Avery Bradley getting the room exception for two years, so about 210. Does he get a player option on that second season? I believe Avery Bradley did not. Okay. Yeah, I, I, 
I didn't recall seeing that, but it kind of seemed like maybe he would. Uh, yeah, let, let's take some of these in. And I think the place to start is a report from Chris Haynes that they plan to start LeBron at point guard. And before we knew who some of these smaller guards were that they're going to be bringing in, we thought that made a lot of sense. And I still think their closing lineup uh, probably and uh, their five best players is going to be Danny Green, KCP on the wings. You know, Green probably getting the assignment of guarding the other team's uh, best score. LeBron at the one, Kuzma at the four, and AD at the five. That seems to me like their five best players. Maybe you would throw Avery Bradley in for KCP instead, depending on, on who's hitting shots better, who's defending better. It does seem like a lot of burden on LeBron to do that throughout the regular season, though. And now maybe you can say you can get more scoring from AD. He could do some ball handling. Cousins in the past when he was healthy did. And, you know, for the 3.5, million cousins to provide some post-up scoring it could be nice i mean i do think they've got a lot of this scoring in the front court you know maybe kuzma can do some more ball handling too but they've got a lot of between kuzma davis and cousins they've got a lot of mouths to feed in the front court and maybe that's the thought of making lebron the point guard but they've really only got one guy on this team right now who is a big pick and roll threat and that's lebron you know maybe you could say rondo but rondo can't really shoot off the dribble and isn't a good enough finisher to where you're really that worried about him and obviously him he's he improved his three-point shooting i will give him credit for that but still you know it doesn't get guarded and he's also one of the worst defensive point guards in the nba it could be that their best option of point guard is going to end up being caruso though i think cook as the best shooter of that group might uh, get so, some of the chances cooks really fits into the mold of guys who've been successful next to lebron offensively your mario chalmers your daniel gibson types uh, going back to a uh, previous days guys who are not great ball handlers but can shoot it pretty well you know aren't great passers but uh for cook my concern more comes uh, on the defensive end so they they do have a fair amount of options it's just the you know the lack of real pick and roll threats the other thing too is that they've got some salary now uh, that's potentially tradable they could maybe get someone on, a, on the buyout market who, who's a little bit more of a, a traditional threat and yeah i mean I, it doesn't bother me that much because lebron's gonna have the ball in his hands a, a lot of the time they're set up to do that now it's just more of a fatigue question and then a if a lebron is out of the game or misses games you know, who are you really going to go to offensively maybe that's when you you let rondo run the show a little bit more and the, the idea is he just gets the ball to davis and cousins uh, in the post um i don't know any of these signings that strike you as particularly good or, or particularly bad good use of resources bad use of resources uh i mean Avery Bradley's most of last year looked pretty washed and I know he's a I, I believe he's a former Palenka client so that could be a part of it but he looked better in Memphis so maybe there's a possibility there yeah I mean part of that was hitting 60 percent on long twos in the 15 yeah. games that he played as a Grizzly so well um, and, and so the other part I think that that in, instead of thinking about the deals individually is just how you talked about Mao's defeat in terms of offense but Mao's defeat in terms of minutes in the rotation they have a lot of overlapping now and yeah. These players mostly signed one-year contracts. So my cousins in particular, you know, there's a possibility that he doesn't start. There's a distinct possibility that he doesn't close games. He has been willing to, you know, to be marginalized for the opportunity maybe in the playoffs or something else. And it didn't look like there was a market for him at all. But you could see on a team that, let's say they're less successful than last year's Warriors, you could see some of these issues come to roost a little bit more prominently. And I mean, some of them are going to be not, not only marginalized, 
marginalized, but basically out of the rotation at various points because they just don't have enough minutes to distribute. And also, sort of along those lines, my sincere hope is that Frank Vogel and the coaching staff use this deep, but not necessarily, you know, it's top heavy, obviously, with LeBron and AD, but like outside of that, you know, like having a more balanced roster to give LeBron and ideally AD as well to be very diligent with load management with those guys, because this Lakers season is going to be defined as long as they make the playoffs. It's going to be defined by how they do in the playoffs. And LeBron turns 35 in December. Davis has dealt with nagging injuries basically his entire career. And they have they have enough, I think, to be able to survive giving those guys nights off, not to be like the number one seed or anything like that. But it's so incumbent upon Vogel and the coaching staff to be judicious with those guys. Yeah, and also I think it's going to require some offensive creativity, which is not what Vogel and Jason Kidd, the two foremost voices on that staff, are necessarily known known for and also you mentioned the load management and stuff and the lakers uh you are not really known for doing that very well in fact there's a report that part of why Kawhi was less interested was in fact due to their medical track record which of course was very important to him and yeah cousins is, i mean i think he you know even if he just plays the way that he did with the warriors it, he was very inconsistent but overall he's was capable of having some pretty good games i mean i think a huge portion of the effectiveness for this team is going to be can kuzma who slumped to 30 percent from three last year but was you know wasn't some great three-point shooter in college and then cousins who was up to 36 percent of his shooting like six a game in new orleans completely lost confidence in his three-pointer as a warrior is he going to be able to get that back with the you know a healthier summer to work on things you know that's another question as well or is he going to be you know forced to kind of be more of a, an inside player you know is his drive game going to come back is he going to be able to operate on the perimeter and have that kind of versatile effect but the good news is you know they also got JaVale McGee they've got AD they don't need anything from Cousins he's kind of just a, a flyer and we'll see you know whether he's prickly and whether he listens to the coaching coaching staff or not which is a, a little bit of a problem for him in Golden State executing their system I don't think the system will be as complex here in LA but yeah the Cousins and LeBron fit doesn't seem amazing it's kind of but I mean given what was available I think the Lakers did pretty well overall getting Danny Green was they must if they didn't have him it, it would be big trouble uh but having that one guy who can defend on the perimeter and hit shots i think that really opens things up next to lebron and i think avery bradley his well i think his on-ball defense is slipped and he's not a good help defender his brand of pressure defense works best when you've got ad behind you to clean things up and you don't have to worry as much about help defense. So I think these signings are about as good as could have been hoped. You know, I still expect Caruso to figure pretty heavily in this rotation as well. But they actually have the ability now, Danny, to put some pretty good defensive lineups out there should they so choose uh, and uh, that's big you know I think it, being a and Vogel has had some success as a defensive coach so if you can the spacing and the ball handling might not be absolutely ideal offensively but they have the ability to really turn it up defensively with this group which is we haven't seen for a, a Lakers team in a long time and you know there's enough defense around LeBron which he hasn't had in a long time as well I mean they actually weren't bad defensively last year but uh 
now he can kind of pick his spots work uh, as a help guy doesn't have to guard primary threats and uh, I think these guys again it's going to take a long time to really put together what a lot of these teams are but I like the way they recovered I, I think I had a quick question for you if you're just talking about duos would you say that the Clippers duo or the Lakers duo George and Kawhi versus AD and LeBron projects to be the best duo in Staples Center this year Whew. I mean we we have some recency bias because Kawhi is the only one of those guys who really made a dent in the playoffs and he was fantastic and you could make an argument for any of those four guys being the one who's going to be the best of those four this year right what makes me think what makes me think it's going to be LeBron and AD is that I I love Paul George I think he had a great year but it it felt a lot to me like it was one of those career years like a a great player having a superhuman season and so if he takes a step back to where you know more of his standard place before that especially when you consider that he's going to be coming off this twin shoulder surgery that he's going to do that but what what gives me a little bit of pause is I, I so I think LeBron. When you say he's going to do that, you mean he's going to regress? Yeah, he'll he'll regress a little bit. You know, the, he I had him first in MVP for a lot of last year. It's not really fair to expect that of him moving forward. And something I was I was going to say, oh well, you know, there's also the the issue of load management, but I think that's going to be true with all these guys basically. You know, that LeBron and AD are going to miss some time in the regular season, and Kawhi. I think I'm going to go with with LeBron and AD at least in the regular season. Just be, and I mean LeBron can step it up in the playoffs. He was the best player in the 2018 playoffs. So I'm going to go in that direction. Though something I genuinely love about Kawhi and Paul George, which you can count as value if you want, is that I think it's in, in, it can be easier to kind of put pieces around them like at the five. But at the same point, LeBron is such a good passer. And I think that's why it's them is because LeBron, you can play more limited guys with him and they can really, they can thrive. And so I'm going to go, I'm going to go there, but it's tough. Yeah, I, I, I think so. I It's and a lot of variables uh, is Kawhi going to get back to where he was defensively how's Paul George going to look defensively it seems like AD and LeBron are probably better bets to play more games than Kawhi and Paul George you know we'll see what kind of shape Kawhi is in after this long playoff run but you know another summer to rehab as well I mean if you're gonna say who's gonna be the absolute best player of those four in the playoffs I probably would go with Kawhi just with how good he was uh, this last year Um, but again you know LeBron we'll see where he's at two years after that dominant 2018 playoffs and AD defensively probably a good bet to be the best of those guys just because he's a big and I mean he was playing unbelievably well in New Orleans they're getting a little unlucky uh before of course he got it shut down uh so I mean he's it's gonna be just awesome those games between the Lakers and Clippers this year let's turn now to Memphis quickly uh they did a three-year 28 million dollar offer sheet for Tyus Jones uh, using their mid-level exception they previously let DeLon Wright go to Dallas uh, in a move we'll talk about shortly you're wondering who the heck was going to be the experienced backup point guard in Memphis uh, with Morant coming off a knee surgery and just overall uh, as a rookie point guard you need to have some kind of an experienced backup in there looking at DeAnthony Melton uh, before this Jones move I think they I think we can talk about it as if Minnesota is not going to match they claim Ty Wallace on waivers and so actually matching on Jones would put them into the tax obviously they could get out of it at some point if they needed to 
And Minnesota has more dreams of competing this year than Memphis and relying just on Jeff Teague and Chez Napier and Wallace, you know, is not ideal. But I think actually that Napier move might enable them to just not match here on Jones. And I think, you know, we've seen the point guard market overall come in about two, three million dollars a year for all these guys, whether it was the starters like Rubio, whether it was the, the high end backups like your Corey Joseph's whether it's guys like Jones and Wright and free agency, all of these deals seem to come in a couple million bucks above where we thought they might. So I think reading the tea leaves, it looks like Minnesota is not going to match. And so what do you you think of that decision for Minnesota? Obviously, we'll have to re-record it if they do, in fact, match, uh, which we'll find out later today. We're, we're recording this uh, on Tuesday morning. That's a lot of money for Tyus Jones. I mean, I, I like him. I've thought that he has been underutilized and arguably underappreciated as a, as a Timberwolf. But I don't think I've—I I believe in him as a guy who can, first of all, you know, totally reliably create for, more importantly, in some ways, himself. And, and for others, I think he can do a decent enough job there. And— for me, giving a point guard about $10 million, and this might just be my views being a little bit outdated as the salary cap keeps rising. I acknowledge that possibility. But if I'm giving a, a backup point guard $10 million or thereabouts, I would like for them not only to be a, a full-fledged, you know, replacement stopgap starter when they can do it, but also somebody who can play well, ideally with my starter, or, you know, just be be somebody who can play instead of being like an 18-minute-a-game guy, be a 24 to 25-minute-a-game guy. And I'm not all the way there with Tyus Jones. So this is richer than I would have been comfortable with. He is young. Last year was Tyus Jones' age 22 season. But, I mean, 49% true shooting, 32% from three, but he was also like 45% on twos last year. So there, there are definitely things to like, but this is a little bit too much for me. Yeah, I think ultimately in Minnesota, where they're trying to go, Jones is not an amazing fit with Carl Anthony Towns, who can be one of the best pick and roll, pick and pop guys in the NBA. I do expect his shooting that, that you talked about to bounce back. He is an excellent free throw shooter and, you know, he's got a great assist to turnover ratio. He gets some steals. He's a little undersized, obviously. And I agree with you. It's hard to see him as a long-term starter unless he becomes a really, really good shooter because of some of those limitations. But for a team like Memphis, who just has acres of salary cap space next season, this makes more sense. You need a young guy who can grow with this group potentially be a solid backup behind Morant, but also not put too much pressure on him this season. And Minnesota, uh, with some of their cap and tax issues, in fact, matching, as we mentioned, will put them into the tax. This seemed like a well-calculated offer sheet. Another kudos to Memphis uh, for being willing to spend. So I agree with you. I probably wouldn't match it if I'm Minnesota, but this is a reasonable flyer for a team like Memphis that's not trying to compete in these next couple of years. At least you get a young guy. Somewhat similar concept to their Kyle Anderson offer sheet which hasn't quite gone well so far but the last thing to say too is we noted during the mock off season that that backup point guard market really falls off when you get kind of halfway through the league's backup point guards and I think Jones has the possibility at least of being in that top half and there does seem like kind of a line of demarcation between someone like Jones and say your Raymond Felton types where you're just, all right, we got to just get somebody in here who can be a backup point guard and just we're not going to die when our main point guard goes out of the game. It does seem like there really are, you know, 40 to 45 point guards in the league. And so that's why the league is coming to this conclusion that, hey, we do have to pay a little bit of a premium for some of these backups, especially now it's, it's very interesting too that 
when you get to the highest levels, traditional backup point guards, you don't really see those on a lot of these teams. Fred Van Vliet is probably the one guy who's been on one of the best teams in the NBA. He's just a traditionally sized backup point guard. But Van Vliet is just an awesome defensive player. He's so strong. He can guard twos reasonably well uh, and also can shoot it. I mean, he, he is someone who... You know, could be a starter a lot of places he can run some pick and roll uh, as well as long as he's not playing the philadelphia 76ers but yeah this would be interesting to watch how the point guard market continues to evolve in future years well and with perhaps this realization that they're just even at backup point guard you just got to have one and if you don't have one you're kind of you know it's like quarterbacks in the nfl where you know there might be a lot of guys kind of around the same level in the middle of the league but if you don't have one now you're just totally screwed and perhaps the payment reflects that so you brought up minnesota choice and I think that's a, a good place to discuss this too but Memphis also made a, a important choice here which is basically they gave Tyus Jones the same money that DeLon Wright ended up getting from the Dallas Mavericks that deal was structured as a sign-in trade I'm guessing part of the reason it was structured as a sign-in trade is that maybe it was a little bit more modest of a contract because Dallas didn't have to go overboard to worry about M- Memphis matching because Memphis agreed not to match they got two second round picks I don't think we've heard specific terms so what I wanted to ask you was we talked about Tyus Jones versus not Tyus Jones from Minnesota they got basically the same money would you rather have DeLon Wright or Tyus as Memphis well and you throw in the the seconds as well and then I think there's the age the fact that Wright is 27 you know really the next two years don't matter that much for Memphis you hope maybe as Jaron Jackson is getting into his third and fourth year as Morant is getting into his second and third year maybe you can turn the corner back towards being competitive again I mean this west is going to be absolutely brutal again this season and Wright would have provided most of the value in these two years when you're not trying to compete and also the lack of shooting for him is a little bit of a concern I mean he does have the size to have potentially played next to Morant which he's and he provides a, a lot more defense than Jones as well with his size both those guys actually interestingly despite their flaws are kind of analytics darlings to some degree at various points in their career so I think getting the two seconds as well and the younger Jones is probably the way to go for Memphis that we can turn to Dallas and Wright was maybe the best free agent left on the market at the time they just had nowhere else to spend their money interesting though that with the amount of that offer sheet they actually could fit that into the and it being a sign and trade and what didn't turn out to be an offer sheet was a sign and trade what they could do is they could fit Seth Curry into their mid-level exception they can fit Boban into their BAE and this right sign and trade can go into the enormous trade exception uh, that they accumulated in the Harrison Barnes deal and they can basically hold on to that trade exception operate as an over-the-cap team this summer and bring that trade exception into the season despite the fact that their cap room is about to get vaporized by signing all these guys like Porzingis and Kleba and Dorian Finney-Smith they essentially can still take on more salary they probably would go into the tax if they do that but that that allows them to continue to be a salary dumping facilitator perhaps again in a Westbrook trade uh and with the Hawks having used up their space really on Jabari, the Mavs might be the only team in that game to really be a salary dump site for teams trying to get out of tax. Not that there's that many of those left or just overall 
dump some salary into the future so it'd be a nice bit of cap management for them utilizing that huge trade exception that they got from just pretty much dumping harrison barnes on the kings in february that said if the thunder are moving quickly let's say on a russell westbrook trade cap space is significantly more malleable more usable than a trade exception so i i would hope that they kind of try to finagle this for like let's say another week if the players are willing to hold off because like let's say for example you know like an imbalanced trade if the player makes more than the amount of the trade exception you have available unless it's a hundred thousand dollars over that's a, a tough sell so we'll, we'll see where it goes but it's nice to have the flexibility to do it either way and as long as the signees are on board you know holding off on technically doing those contracts then they can be a little bit more flexible with this and maybe that will come to a head at some point but we'll see we'll see where it goes and yeah it's it's, it's interesting and i like it when teams can be flexible we talked about that with the way Brooklyn was able to structure their transactions, something that Albert Namad had laid out beautifully, and he did a good job of this one, of course, as well. The on-court fit for Bright is an interesting one. Presumably, he will be their starting point guard. His shooting is a major question mark, both in terms of the volume and his ability to hit. He's in the low 30s and not a guy who's going to really gun it from out there. They did need more defense on this team on the perimeter, which he provides. He also provides some ability to play the two. Rick Carlisle loves deploying those multiple point guard lineups. Seth Curry, much better of an offensive fit next to Luka, but Curry also might be a health risk as well he was healthy last year but obviously as a Mav missed the year before that they've also got Jalen Brunson still as well I write like right better than Brunson and so this isn't a perfect fit Wright does have the ability to get to the basket he's a pretty nice finisher and so I think him running pick and roll with Porzingis that helps to mitigate his lack of shooting to some degree if Porzingis can pick and pop you got to stick with him a little bit harder to go under with that pick and pop ability of Porzingis so they've got a lot of bodies now in the backcourt none of them incredibly inspiring uh, and they also still at small forward are very thin with Finney Smith and Justin Jackson really your only guys who are guarding the perimeter now they might be able to put on some of those bigger wing types they might even be able to shift Moxie Klepa there and you know he's had some success I mean we like him defensively but you know asking him to guard a KD or something regularly or a Kawhi Leonard is a little bit much but you know this has got to be a disappointing free agency period for Dallas I did they missed out on Danny Green getting some of the right signings if Porzingis came back 100% maybe could have vaulted them into the playoffs this year now I think they're probably projecting as being a little bit outside that mix but if if Doncic and Porzingis take a big enough step forward then maybe they are right there uh but I think the hope was that those guys weren't gonna have to carry quite as large of a load uh but still this right deal I mean Wright was one of the best free agents left in the market what else were they doing with their space they could try to make trades later so a good signing but you know when he's the best free agent that they got he and Curry and didn't really fit into what they needed for three and D ability around Doncic that it is overall a disappointing haul for the Mavs yeah, I, I would agree with that. We can go to Atlanta, where Jabari Parker is signing a two-year, $13 million deal, and the second year is a player option. Yes, this is significantly more money, or significantly less money than Jabari Parker made last year on what was uh, had a team option for the second year, which unsurprisingly, the Wizards declined. But I don't love this. I actually actively dislike this as a use of Atlanta's cap space because the Hawks don't necessarily need what he's bringing. Now, if they're going to go with rigid, you know, like first team, second team idea, and so Jabari is basically only going to be out there when Trey Young 
is off the floor, well, then they might need some some scoring and creation. But I, I expected them to go with with more mixed lineups and also giving Parker a player option for next year ties up some money. And I'm sure some would say that Atlanta has more money than they know what to do with anything like that. But knocking seven million off, you, you never really know what what will be on the table there. And I think that's negative value. And I, it's more that not necessarily that two thirteen is a terrible contract for Jabari Parker. I don't particularly like the fit and. When you have a player with that kind of money on roster, you generally think of them as a component. And I would have liked to see to, to have seen somebody who brought something different to the table. You know, maybe like a bouncy defensive four or a, a or a center or something something else. And I don't love this use of capital for them. Yeah, I agree with you. They don't really have a, at this point in time a long term center on the roster. Jabari is somewhat similar to Cam Reddish, DeAndre Hunter as well. John Collins is a power forward. Jabari can't defend. He'll fit right in with this group. Uh, maybe guys like like Hunter will be able to get there eventually, but this is going to be a very defensive the challenge team. Remember, they also traded for Evan Turner, who supposedly is going to be in the rotation. I mean, I do think they need some more creation on this team. I mean, really, like, who's your best, your second best on-ball creator might be Cam Reddish as a as a rookie. And I do think there might be a bit of a buy-low aspect here to Jabari. But, you know, have, giving up the player option as well is not great either. By the way, Mark Bartlestein just continues to win. I mean, where, where else this offer was for Jabari, I, I have no idea. It's it, it's almost like, I mean, and it doesn't seem to fit in with what Travis Schlank would be doing. Now, Atlanta has a ton of cap space for next summer, the $78 million, so if Jabari has to pick up that player option, it's not the end of the world. But yeah, it really just, he does not make a ton of sense as someone who, you know, still views himself as a starter. He's not going to start here. I think that's pretty obvious. I mean, maybe, I guess, he and Collins could start together if Hunter and Reddish are aren't ready but they, they do have a lot of guys to feed I mean DeAndre Pembry is still on this team Turner you could say Jabari you know last year he was coming off the tour in ACL and now he's going to be 100% and he'll shoot it better from three um this doesn't really seem like this one makes much sense and it continues the Travis Schlenk pattern where I overall really agree with what he's doing but there are a fair number of moves that he'll make you know maybe 20% of them where I'm like eh, it's kind of a head scratcher like the Lynn trade or uh that trade that they made to move up to number four for hunter who again you know if he works out they'll that'll make sense but they gave he gave up an awful lot to move up to number four for a guy that we thought was you know kind of in the same tier as the guy they could get at eight the the hawks also did a trade with the warriors acquiring damian jones making about 2.3 million sending out last year's number 30 overall pick a trade of two number 30 overall pick centers for one another amari spellman going back Hawks taking on another 400,000 or so and getting a 2026 Warriors second round pick for their trouble. Warriors uh, definitely giving up the picks far into the future when I think teams uh, are of the belief that they will be on the decline. And I share that belief. Jones, you know, I don't think is going to play much for them. You know, this is kind of a give up for the Warriors. We we were thought very likely that a Jones trade would be coming. Um, you know, getting the second rounder, I think they just were, Spellman looked pretty corpulent, shall we say. He really just has not been able to lose weight uh, at various times. So I think they had tired of that 
maybe they're going to decline his option anyway so take on an extra four hundred thousand and get a, a second rounder why not essentially i mean i could even see damian jones being waived at some point this year just to open up the roster spot but what do you think of that deal from the warriors perspective giving up a second and getting off of that little money is pretty shocking because it doesn't seem like the players here are are super valuable i mean i haven't liked what i've seen from spellman particularly so far and it is amusing to have the the guy that you've compared to most spates now on the warriors where spates arguably found his greatest success but also because the hawks were and are the most logical partner to offload that sean livingston partial guarantee and if they gave up a second and also got off of that two million I think this would look meaningfully better because even though it's not that big an amount of money, the stretch of that two million, it adds not it adds not only to the Warriors books for this year, but for two future years, assuming that's what happens here. But and they haven't actually stretched correct. them yet as of this. They haven't actually done it yet. But yeah. That would have been such a logical fit for this. I mean, there's also the connection with Travis Schlenk previously being a part of the Warriors front office, but also just because they're one of the few teams that had enough cap space to make that work. And so if it was a second round pick for Jones Spellman and the Livingston salary dump, I'd be largely on board. But without that, it seems like it's too much to give up for too little. Yeah, now Spellman, I like him more than Jones. I think he has a, a greater chance of being able to help. As uh, Warriors writer Ethan Strauss says, fat is potential in disguise. Uh, although the Hawks tried to unlock that potential for a year and failed to do so. There's a lot of disguise. Uh, and it also makes sense that the guy that I found most similar to most Spates is now uh, on the Warriors. We, uh, I think Spellman has better rim protection instincts than Damian Jones, despite Jones' superior athleticism. And Spellman is a, a solid shooter. I think he has more of a chance of hitting you to imagine he would be on his way to having his option declined as well with the Warriors but he'll have a chance uh, to show something in camp and through the first uh, 9-10 days of the season I think the season starts a little later October 22nd this year so uh, you know have quite as long to evaluate them before you have to decide on that October 31st rookie option date but I, I mean I think as far, it is a talent upgrade minimal though it is for the Warriors I think you know Spellman to me has a chance and Jones to me just didn't um, but yeah to only get off of the 400,000 for the price of this second rounder and not be able to dump Livingston as well especially well, when the Hawks easily could have done that before signing Jabari sure yeah you have to take on Livingston you know you have to take on the larger number but they could have reduced it to the smaller partial guarantee immediately basically as soon as the trade was consummated also this is the cost of making the wrong decision on an option if the Warriors had just declined Damian Jones's option as they should have done then they wouldn't have had to pay another team to take him on yeah and I, we've seen a lot of yo-yoing overall from the Warriors like oh well we declined Kevon Looney's option and we shouldn't have so let's hold on to Damian Jones and oh we went for kind of the guy who couldn't shoot that we thought would be NBA ready immediately in Jacob Evans and he didn't really work out and you know not to say that he can't work out but it hasn't been trending that direction so far and so now we're going to go for just the total flyer reach guy in Jordan Poole who is totally not NBA ready, but has you know, some talent, you know, the next time around, it seems like they kind of make a mistake in one direction and then like overcorrect going in another direction uh, with their next move uh, a lot of times. Um, but we'll get to the rest of the Warriors moves uh, where things looking a little bit better uh, for them. But we got to tell you about The Athletic, where Danny is employed at the moment. What do you think were some of your favorite athletic articles uh, not authored by you in the last few days here? 
Well, there's been a, a lot of great work kind of explaining how different elements of this free agency happened. And John Krasinski's on the D'Angelo Russell situation, I found particularly fascinating. That was, he had it from Minnesota's perspective because he's, you know, covers the Minnesota Timberwolves about them having Russell up in a helicopter and the Timberwolves expecting a pursuit of, by the Lakers and just not seeing the Warriors coming and that just kind of pulling the rug out from under them. I thought that was really interesting. Marcus Thompson has done some excellent work on the the overhaul with the Golden State Warriors and just the sheer wealth of intelligence and passionate like like writing you if you if there's any transaction if there's any move or overall change that you want some perspective on you're probably going to get two or three great pieces on it from the athletic issue you can get one from from other from different sides and then also the national reporting from people like Shams. well and the biggest thing that i could say about the athletic is the people that i talk to who work there they love working there and the reason they do is because they have the freedom to write the things that they always wanted to write the things that made them passionate about writing you're not at a newspaper and oh it looks like uh sean livingston is going to miss today's game with a sore knee and now you got to bang out three paragraphs regurgitating the injury report and you're just wasting your time on crap like that that hey guess what you just saw that on twitter as a, an informed consumer you don't need to read click on something that's an article just to keep the ad machine going and instead they're built entirely on a subscription model and they have to do great work to earn your money and they do so no ads no pop-ups no autoplay videos their podcasting is outstanding as well available in the athletic app jade and all the count the dings crew are, are over there now if you subscribe you got access to everything all of the local nba coverage and you just go to the nba tab there and you can find out what's going on about any team great work from all of their guys they also do great work on football baseball great news breakers uh, as well it's really just what i think everyone who works in the industry was waiting for as far as a company that they really uh, would enjoy working for to do the type of work that they always dreamed of doing so the way to subscribe to the athletic theathletic.com slash catspace you get 40 percent off a yearly subscription a mere 2.99 a month when you subscribe at theathletic.com slash capspace, don't forget that slash capspace URL, theathletic.com slash capspace to let them know that you came from us. So what else have the Warriors done here now? Well, just as a point of clarification before we get into to that, also from Mike Scotto, we have that the, the protection on the pick that went from the Warriors to the Nets in the Durant-Russell double sign-in trade, that is protect. It is their 2021st, but it is protected 1-20. to So if the Warriors do not finish with one of the best 10 records in the league, instead, Golden State sends their 2025 second to Brooklyn. So that's another <laughs> one that's out there way in the future. I also like that as a piece of negotiating from Sean Marks that instead of trying to get... I, I, don't, I can't remember exactly exactly how many soonish ones they have but hey push out in the future totally fine for them if the Warriors are willing to give it up then also they signed Alec Burks and and this is an interesting well, well actually no one, one more thing on the on the trades sure. too they also had to give two million dollars in cash to Memphis in the Iguodala trade to facilitate the Iguodala trade which okay whatever you might say it's Joe Lickham's money who cares but you're limited to just over five million dollars that you can send out and again with their hard cap issues they are up against it now we'll see how much they actually end up giving Willie Colley Stein uh and with only 14 players I mean, you have a, you suffer a season-ending injury to a guy, and you need to just have more players on your team. 
team to try and compete this year you know you need to have that cash to facilitate moving someone and you know like what you've written about extensively with what the Rockets were doing last year and so again to give up the two million in cash like did the Warriors think that Sean Livingston was in this trade and he just wasn't (laughs) like you know I I think maybe Memphis didn't want to give up seven million dollars of their trade exception because his incoming salary would have cost seven million even though only two million was guaranteed but nonetheless I mean to have done both these trades with Atlanta and Memphis and to give up this amount of capital in the draft and still not actually get off of that Livingston money and now probably they're gonna have to stretch them and they'll have more hard cap issues that's really uh, pretty remarkable uh, that they weren't able to negotiate that uh, as far as I'm concerned um and then quickly at Memphis we didn't mention this for them but it, uh, a Memphis executive made this point to me which I thought was a good one the other day that you know we criticized them for basically kind of just giving away uh Jamichael Green and Garrett Temple to the Clippers and getting back a Avery Bradley, but they were able to get trade exceptions for that, which they then were able to take in Kyle Korver and Jay Crowder from the Jazz with those, and therefore open up that huge trade exception for Mike Conley, which then enabled the Iguodala deal. So whether they saw it that far ahead or not, I'm not sure, but when you look back on that move as something we criticized them for, it did ultimately enable them to make this Iguodala deal, which we thought was one of the better transactions of the summer all right so now who the hell did the Warriors sign so they signed Alec Burks and if you're wondering hey how did they sign Alec Burks I thought he signed with the Thunder what the Thunder did when they changed course it sounds like they let at least Mascala and Burks the the piece that I saw on it didn't specifically mention Nerlens Noel I don't I don't know either way on that one and so the Thunder basically let them out of their commitments they hadn't signed their contracts yet it's another benefit of the moratorium and so Burks decided to join the Warriors who have playing time now for wings, which we did not necessarily expect. And the Thunder are obviously going in a different direction. Burks is an intriguing player for the Warriors. You know, he's he's had some rough times since things were looking better. But, you know, at the minimum, I don't have too much of a problem with this. Yeah, and they didn't really have, outside of Russell and Curry, didn't really have much in the way of pick and roll threats. And I mean, Burks, he, he might be the starting three. I mean, they got GR3 and McKinney. You know, Burks might be the best of those guys. Now, not a defensive stopper on the wing but uh you know they don't have that guy on the roster and maybe just didn't have the ability to get him uh, with the Russell trade and uh, the hard cap quick hitter here Kevin Porter Jr. at the number 30 pick is only getting 80% of the rookie scale in year one before rising up to 120% in years two through four uh Jeff Siegel noting that uh, on Twitter and maybe another reason why the Cavs were so gung-ho uh, to go and get him and that just helps them uh, as far as staying out of the tax uh, with it looking like J.R. Smith is just going to have to be waived uh, rather than uh, providing a, a method for them to take on more salary it doesn't seem like there's a team out there that's willing to do that uh, and give up a first rounder for the, the Cavs to pay the tax and in Chicago Walt Lemon and Shaq Harrison have been waived they may still bring those guys back uh, on lower level contracts uh, both those guys uh, guards and then Thomas Sadoransky is five million guaranteed in the third year a little bit more than you would expect uh, on those partial guarantees uh he's on a three-year 30 million dollar deal reported by uh Casey Johnson what else we got here as far as uh quick hitters 
as we speculated, the Orlando Magic have stretched Timofey Mozgov. They did not need the difference between this and the Ryan Anderson stretch is that Miami had to do that in order to get below the hard cap when the Jimmy Butler trade was made. You know, you, you if you're hard capped, you can't be over the hard cap for any time for any reason during that league, the rest of that league year. Orlando did not need to wave and stretch Mozgov now. They needed to clear some money in order to get below the tax, but you can stretch guys. It's not like that decision has to be made in early July. And so now they have that commitment for the next three years. To, yeah, to, the deadline, by the way, to stretch a guy for that year is August 31st. Right. So for, they, they for did have some time there. I don't like, even if this was where it was going, especially, I mean, Mozgov did sign a contract with a Russian team. And so maybe he was putting a little bit of heat on them, but you're paying him $16 million. I don't think he has a lot of leverage there to say, do it right away or else I'm going to be really angry with you. Phoenix also waived Kyle Korver. This is something we expected when they made the trade where they saved a few a few million dollars by basically swapping him for Josh Jackson and the Melton Javon Carter challenge trade kind of on top of it. And now Korver can sign somewhere. Might be the Lakers, might be the Bucks, might be the Sixers. I think those are the three teams we saw originally. Jeff Bezdelic is reportedly likely to join the New Orleans Pelicans. That would be a nice addition for them. He Loving that Pels defense, man. They already got Darren Ehrman there and uh, Lonzo and Drew in the backcourt. Derek Favors, the solid defensive center. Uh, I think it'd have a really, really good defense uh, with the, these guys here. That's uh, another one we're going to have to wrap our heads around in these team previews, which uh, I mean, the, the team previews, I'm like more excited for those than I've been in a long time because I really like getting a chance to talk through all these teams for an hour with a, a local expert is going to be awesome. I'm taking that as a direct affront that you're just relishing the podcast that I'm not a part of. I'm sure that's... Well, uh, hey, you do some of them too. That's true. Uh, so I think this is a, a more important one and also provides some context for something we saw earlier in the offseason. Neil O'Shea is saying that Yusuf Nurkic, remember he had that horrible broken leg, that he could be out until February. And the reason why this is provides context is presumably why they acquired Hassan Whiteside. Because now Whiteside is is going to be presumably their starting center until Nurkic gets back, and Nurkic coming back a little bit later than at least my brain was thinking he would be. It, that's more important, and I, I do have concerns about what Whiteside will do. You know, once he gets marginalized to the bench, but if he's starting for what would be a majority of the season, then that's important. Yeah, and I mean they moved on from Myers Leonard in that trade for Whiteside, so it's really Whiteside and Zach Collins are their big man options in portland let me make sure i'm not forgetting about somebody here with all the movement sometimes i even lose track i'm not going to be outraged that you didn't include scal <laughs> yeah and maybe just with with nurkic's size that's part of why it, and they don't want to put pressure on him to, to come back too early obviously uh, as well uh the milwaukee bucks have signed the brother of Giannis Antetokounmpo to a two-year contract Thanasis Antetokounmpo they have also signed jaleel cousins uh taylor griffin has also been signed uh, by the bucks Anyone else I'm forgetting coming coming down the wire here? Isaiah Cousins. Okay. I don't know how many other Antetokounmpo... No, there are four Antetokounmpo brothers. And uh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Sadly, Costas Antetokounmpo is on the maps. Uh, oh, man. Uh, too long in Vegas. I'm blanking on all the hilarious names of other uh, less talented NBA brothers uh, who have uh, been in the league. You can't put Seth Curry in that category, sadly, because he's actually pretty decent. But uh, the, the tradition of signing guys, brothers who uh, aren't any good, is a, a glorious one in NBA history. And clearly, if the Bucks uh, don't make it to the finals this year because they wouldn't pay the, mal- the luxury tax on Malcolm Brogdon, 
the fact that they signed his brother will make up for that. Uh, in Toronto, Stanley Johnson, two years, $7.5 million deal, player option in the second season. Interesting there that he got the player option and uh, above the minimum but maybe just because he's got some size there's a thought that mm, there's some competition for his services certainly the type of guy that Masai likes to bring in he really gets it it just likes to sign guys with wing size and hope that he can turn him into a player but that player option on the second year reduces certainly Toronto's ability to reap a, a benefits from the this low-cost signing if it does work out i mean they have so much space next year they more than they know what to do with so if he has to opt in that won't be the end of the world and then uh patrick mccaw is back two years eight million are the terms maybe there'll be a non-guarantee on that second year wouldn't shock me but and mccaw does pretty well so he is going to win from a business perspective at least for engineering his way out of golden state you remember with that non-guaranteed offer sheet that the Cavs gave him and then waved him he ended up with the raptors and didn't make as much last year as he would have made had he taken the initial Warriors offer, which I think was in the like two years, four million range, but he's going to make that money up now on the second contract. I can't say I saw much in McCaw to indicate that he deserves four million a year, but I guess there's just still hope that he's going to develop. And, you know, there's little opportunity cost for the Raptors now to do that. Also, Toronto made the decision to hot, to sign early summer league standout Terrence Davis, who was on the Nuggets summer league team. They just gave him a two-year deal with a full guarantee in year one. As a reminder that just because a player is on 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 your summer league team is no guarantee that you will have them beyond that point. They gave him a, a pretty strong deal. And, he, and Davis had bet on himself by turning down two ways during the draft. That's part of why he went undrafted. And now he's getting a full NBA contract. Well, the other thing that happened in summer league last night, we saw what people were calling the best dunk in summer league history by jackson hayes uh that new orleans team with Nikhil alexander walker and hayes finally able to play with the all the trades uh, being finalized finally for the pels was one of the more enjoyable summer league it ended up being a complete blowout but just alexander walker i think he like dimed up hayes for like eight or nine dunks just on his own and Nikhil alexander walker is someone that we love see seeing him play really well you know one of the better summer league debuts you'll see for a guard last year as well the number 17 pick and hayes a pick that we criticized due to the fit but he looked like certainly 28 points pretty much all on dunks uh he looked pretty good yesterday but if you wanted to be in the building for that and and i really recommend coming to summer league it's a very fun experience a lot of bad basketball but when you get good basketball it can be really awesome SeatGeek is the way to do it they rate every deal on a scale of one to ten they display them on an interactive seat map green dots mean good deals red dots are overpriced i use SeatGeek plenty in my personal life whether it's to take my wife to a game in Milwaukee, which we do every year, whether it's for concerts, comedy, anything that needs tickets, SeatGeek is the way to go. They've got over 50,000 five-star reviews, including my figurative five-star review that I'm giving you right now. SeatGeek will even give you 10 bucks off your first SeatGeek purchase. Although clearly, if you are a loyal Dunktown listener, you would have already tried SeatGeek since they were the inaugural sponsor of the pod way back in the summer of 2015. Make sure you use our promo code, though, that familiar cap space code, Get $10 off your first SeatGeek purchase. That's promo code CAPSPACE to get $10 off your first purchase. So we got about 10 minutes left here uh, before Danny has to check out of his hotel. So let's kind of wrap things up here on this summer. Where I wanted to start is to take stock of where we were at the start of this summer versus the end. We haven't seen teams leave open cap space. The Mavs are the only one that have about 14 million. Should they choose to use it, they could go into the season over the cap with that trade exception. At the start, 
excluding exceptions there was 483 million in cap space available around the league that is now a lot less basically everyone has, has used all their cap space and we've got about 15 million left with the Mavs and that's likely to get vaporized soon the more interesting thing you are correct in, in your prediction that 2020 that a lot of the 2020 space would be spent there was almost 1.3 billion in space open for 2020 at the start of this year that is now down to 517 million and we could see that reduced even further by rookie extensions or veteran extensions before the year starts we also it looked like they're going to be a lot of teams way in the tax toronto if they got back Kawhi, the warriors were going to have one of the biggest bills in history if they brought back kd and even if they didn't they're going to be pretty high we thought they could bring back a lot of guys use their exceptions instead the warriors do the sign and trade they get hard caps so they're going to be about six million into the tax the raptors aren't going to be in the tax at all after losing Kawhi and Danny Green. So the taxpayer, I don't think anybody is going into the season. Let's see here. You've got a bunch of these teams that are hard capped. Nobody is going into this season more than $10 million over the tax. So that's uh, going to be one of our lower tax. With, and with all the guys leaving their incumbent teams, uh, OKC is another one too, where they moved Jeremy Grant. So they were going to be way in the tax. Now they're not anymore. They saved money in the Paul George trade as well. So a lot, I and mean, it's been a seismic upheaval. And yeah, I mean, so 2020, there still is more money out there in 2020 than there was at the start of 2019. We thought with all those sour 16s coming off the books, or at least I did, that 2020 could be a bloodbath. It probably still will be because there aren't any good free agents and guys are going to get overpaid for that reason. But it's not going to be that atypical of a year just in terms of the amount of space that's out there in the summer of 2020. And we could see a lot of extensions vaporize even more of that with the understanding that, and especially when you also look at the number of teams that are going to have space you know memphis atlanta cleveland charlotte toronto the knicks those are the teams that are going to have the big space next year and those are all kind of building teams at this point maybe toronto will will be in a different place but they're going to lose a lot of guys like lowry and gasol and ibaka next summer so for restricted free agency in particular i think as we go into these extension negotiations these are teams that more traditionally would be going for restricted free agents, the young teams that are trying to build with their space. And so you got to be scared of those if you're trying to sign your guys to an extension. And perhaps, you know, we've already seen one extension with Jamal Murray, another one probably coming soon with Ben Simmons, that teams recognize that. And that's why, in particular, the Nuggets, although it is their MO, moved very quickly to wrap up terms with Murray. Yeah, it definitely seems like that is a, p- a part of the conversation. And do you want to kind of pivot from that to basic winners and losers for what we've seen so far? Yeah, I, I think, I mean, there, there are some... Well, let's do it this way. I mean, I think people know that the Nets and the Clippers are winners. The Lakers, eh, you know, we'll see. Um, You know, it was thought that they gave up a lot. And we'll see whether the Clippers end up being winners too. I mean, if Paul George gets injured and they gave up all these draft picks and, you know, they never make it to a conference finals. I mean, I don't, people have them as the championship favorites. I'm a little lower on them right now. I would probably go with the Bucs just because I think it'll be easier for the Bucs to get out of the East than for any team to get out of the West with the depth in the conference there. Um, But there's, I think, a lot of obvious winners what i want to look at is most controversial off seasons like who are the the 
teens where you're like hey you know i don't really know whether this is going to be good or bad and and we've kind of there's different prevailing opinions even if you know we might have one other people might feel differently i think you and i all agree on this one but i'm a lot lower on what orlando did than a lot of other people running it back with a team that was a lower end playoff team and that took career years from a lot of their players and the magic do have some young guys but they aren't this intensely young team where you expect a lot of players to take a step up you know mobamba john isaac maybe aaron gordon will but they committed a lot of resources to largely keeping this team together and yeah and they had to stretch mozgov as a result right and so that limited some of their flexibility and so committing to the team they had last year for let's call it three years i don't i don't love that and i think that so maybe they won the press conference there were some good feelings making the playoffs is is pretty great for a franchise that had been so downtrodden since the dwight howard trade but I think two years from now, they'll be feeling like, oh man, like, maybe maybe it wouldn't have produced a better outcome, but at least they would have been more flexible. Yeah, I, I think the, the counter argument to that would be, you know, what else were they supposed to do? My answer to that would have been either get Ross on a better deal or let him go. Um, you know, they weren't able to solve their hole at point guard either. You, know, you could say that maybe they should have gone after someone like Wright or even Tyus Jones or maybe a, a Corey Joseph type with their mid-level rather than Aminu. You know, that, that was the one... Aminu and Ross were the ones that didn't make sense to me. I think bringing back Vooch on uh, five for 90 was a solid move. Um, and um, was it five? No, I'm sorry. It was four for 90. I apologize. But that's one where he's a really good player. He's an all-star. That's not a crazy number for him. Should be a movable contract should they need to. And you know maybe you hope that he can continue to get better for the next year or two. Maybe he's coming off a career and he won't. But And that they could be a team that maybe can at least be you know in the lower rung of the East playoffs. Because again, what's the counterfactual? they would have just totally had to rebuild maybe they can get something out of Markel Fultz uh, who knows um it was more Ross and then you have to stretch Mozgov as well that that was uh, and the Aminu thing where he's so redundant with Gordon and with Isaac despite the fact he's willing to come off the bench I mean he gives you some more length and I think they could have a very good defense but it's still I understand the idea of where you're going but I just I don't see what the other option was other than you know either getting Ross on a better or shorter deal I mean that four for 54 for him I thought was a little bit rough given his defensive deficiencies and Aminu you know maybe they could have tried to allocate that point guard um yeah that that's an interesting one i mean the warriors obviously are very controversial i'm not saying it can't work out maybe they can trade russell but they gave up a lot to get him they hard cap themselves i think it makes them less competitive in the next couple of years but you know maybe there's the hope that he either grows or they can flip him for someone else so they've given up a lot of draft picks already to as an additional sweetener there but they do get that big salary that a team might be interested in i have one uh, for you yeah they aren't like the single biggest winner or anything like that but and and this is before maybe one of their big dominoes falls i think the oklahoma city thunder are one of the biggest winners of this offseason so far sure. and the reason why is getting so much for paul george pushed them in the direction that they should have gone anyway but probably would not have and they got they got an, a mint for for george and i don't think they were going to be title contenders either way and getting out of the tax isn't as much of a deal, but it it forced Presti and more likely in this case ownership to be honest with themselves about where they were. And now by by doing it early as opposed to doing it late, they're going to have a much better asset pool for the future. They not only Shea and the, all the all the picks they got from the Clippers and Heat, they're now they have a diversified portfolio. That's a piece I talked about a little bit in my my breakdown of this trade. It is that now they if the Clippers are bad, or worse than expected, or the or the Heat end up worse than expected, then they get a little bit of a 
benefit there. And I'm guessing that they're going to get positive value from the Westbrook trade, which if that happens would be another big win for them considering how much money he's going to get paid. So that's, that's important. You know, being able to pivot to make the hard decisions when that's the right tact is really tough. I I think sometimes we underappreciate the challenge there for a fan base, for ownership, for front office. And I think they're going to come out looking really well. I think actually, because, you know, we're going to do off-season grades, obviously, at some point soon here, but winners and losers to Marcus Cousins, I mean, to actually get, he signed with the Warriors with the theory that he was going to get a big payday. He's actually getting less money and arguably even a smaller role than he did last year. Uh when he's coming off the Achilles, obviously that quad injury hurt him quite a bit. Kawhi Leonard is a huge winner. I mean, to he wins the championship. People in Toronto don't even really seem that mad at him. He then goes to the Clippers, gets to go where he wants, back home. Great organization he's really happy with. Strong arms everybody into trading zone that nobody even knew was available and Paul George to team up with him. So uh, that was pretty fantastic. D'Angelo Russell is a huge winner. He gets his max contract. We had speculated for months now of who was going to give him the big contract there was hope that he was going to go to the wolves you know they end up looking like a, a pretty big loser they tried to make some big overalls i wouldn't have minded russell on a big contract on the wolves nearly as much as on the warriors uh because the wolves don't have like the highest of aspirations they're just trying to get into being in the playoffs and, and russell is a much better player for that than you know trying to be at a championship level uh but russell is a big winner i mean we it, his agent was getting guys to write articles oh there's interest from these guys there's interest from these guys and none of them really seemed that realistic and for the warriors to pop up there and get the max contract he's a big winner there financially to be sure and you know i think he's gonna have a chance to look really good and put up some stats the first half of the year uh for the warriors also uh and you know as long as those stats don't include his defense another i'll we'll go through a couple of brief ones winner for me memphis grizzlies this is remember this oh, yeah. is focused on the on on the post draft stuff because we oh we also haven't seen most of their guys yet but i am a firm believer going back to my real gm days and degree of like basically flexibility plus like component of value and they didn't have a lot of flexibility and i think they did pretty well you know getting that first round pick for andre guadala getting the value they did for mike conley who was a you know a negative value contract until really recently until he had this this wonderful healthier season and I don't love the Valanciunas contract but the value that they've gotten this year without much spending power and you know with these exceptions and everything else is is genuinely impressive all right well that'll wrap it up we don't want Danny to get kicked out of his hotel room here uh but a reminder to subscribe to the athletic theathletic.com slash capspace get you 40 percent off a yearly subscription also let them know that you came from us 2.99 a month for the best sports coverage out there they've got local and national nba coverage including uh, all the other sports uh, as well no ads no pop-ups great podcasts uh, as well not quite as good as ours but still really good uh and well worth your time theathletic.com slash capspace once again is that url we will talk to y'all next week till then at bet365 we don't do ordinary we believe that every sport should be epic every goal every game every point every play from the moments that are legendary to the ones that fly under the radar whether it's a game-winning goal in the final seconds of overtime or a shot on the goal in the first period whatever the sport whatever the moment it's never ordinary at bet365 21 plus only must be present in virginia if you or someone you know has a gambling problem and wants help call 1-800-GAMBLER terms and conditions apply